King David. It's not just because my husband's name is David. I actually married my husband because his name is David. No, I'm teasing. But uh, it is one of my favorite uh, Bible characters, and I'm excited to look at his life. Um, one of the things I think that's really important to um, when you're reading about David, when you're um, reading the stories in the Old Testament or any references or psalms that he's written, something that's really important to remember to me is that David um, had a relationship and a love with God's word. And you read Psalm 119 and you just see that, how much he loved God's word and the law. And um, I believe that's why his life was a life of praise and a life of commitment, even in times that were very hard. And we're going to talk about some of those times today. If you were here with us last week, we talked about Job. Um, and if you got the chance to go read the book of Job, then uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And if not, you have a whole week ahead of you. Go for it. So it's, it's kind of a lot to get through, but it's good. Let's go ahead and start this with prayer, and then we will get um, going. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you are here with us now. I thank you for your word and for the truth of your word that can lead and guide us. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and I thank you for that, and I pray today that that would be the case, that you would light our way, and that, Lord, whatever it is that we need to hear from you, that we would be ready to hear it. I pray, open our ears to hear you, and Lord, let my mouth be filled with your words so that you can speak to your people. I thank you for being here again in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, our truth today about God is that he is worthy of praise in every situation. He's worthy of praise in every situation. Now, how many of you know you don't always feel like praising him in every situation, right? But praising God doesn't always look the same. We kind of think of, you know, joy, or we think of, you know, jumping up and down, or clapping your hands, or waving your hands, or singing a upbeat song, you know, but it can look a little different than that. Uh, you know, praising God, putting him first, dedicating yourself to him, you know, speaking out words of praise. Our words are, are uh, important to God, and speaking out words of praise um, is, is a way that we can praise him. How many of you know, like, if you're in a conversation, you're not always, the, your voice is not always the same, Right? If you're sad, you're saying something that's important, but your voice might be sad. But your words are true, right? And if you're happy, your voice might be loud. You might be sharing something you're exciting about, excited about. You know, and some of us, though, we think of talking to God like we do texting. Have you ever texted somebody that has no emotion with their texting? Like, they just... It's just, this is what they have to say. And you're not, that's why texting is bad sometimes. Because you're just not sure, are they mad at me? They, all they said was, yes, they only answered my question. Was there more? You know, but then there's people that text and they've got like, heart, 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 heart. Happy face, happy face, happy face. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> and you're like, all I needed was a yes or no. <laughs> but some of us, we think about the way that we talk to God and, and, and all of that I think him knowing our emotion and knowing through our um, actions and even the sound of our voice is an important thing. And so praising God doesn't always look the same. Um, 
but we need to be ready to praise him in every situation. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, David, King David. At this point, he's not King David yet when we start out in our story. But when we find this young man, this young boy, we find that he is someone who loves to praise the Lord. So we find him, we meet King David as a shepherd. And um, as a shepherd, he spends hours alone in an um, occupation that is not uh, very grand. I mean, he's the youngest son here, so he's got the worst job. Um, he's the keeper of the shepherd, but in protecting his father's sheep, David comes to know the joy of God's presence and the thrill of God's power. He writes songs. He worships the Lord. And those experiences with God in that lonely time where it was just him and God made him a worshiper. That's why it's good sometimes for us to separate ourselves from things. And maybe we can't physically be separated from people like David was as a shepherd. But sometimes there are things in our lives that are very loud, right? Whether it's media, social media, television, movies, even music sometimes. Um, and if we can quiet those things and be alone with God, that's a good thing, right? Can you imagine if we, <laughs> if we had conversations with our spouses like we had with the Lord and we had music like blaring? <laughs> What'd you say? Now, obviously, God can hear us, and some of us, we do that to help distract us. But sometimes it's good just to be quiet with the Lord. And I challenge you to do that, even though it might feel a little bit awkward. So looking at the life of David, we're going to start at one particular moment. And we have a day when David is out in the fields and a messenger arrives and tells him he has to come at once because Samuel, the prophet, is calling for him. Can you imagine David? I mean, here he is, a shepherd, a young boy. What in the world is he calling? You know what he thought. Oh, I've done something really, really bad. Why is he calling for me? He can't believe his ears. And when he arrives to Samuel, the unthinkable happens. This prophet anoints David, this youngest son, this lowly young son, this shepherd, as the next king of Israel. I, sh I imagine it took a little while for the shock to wear off. I think the best part about this story is like, okay, you're anointed king. We'll see you later. Go back being a shepherd. <laughs> And so David, alone again, praises God for such a blessing and such an honor. Now, this is a huge promise. And yet, here he is alone again. Have you ever had something like that happen where you had this great high or this great moment happen? And I'm talking spiritually or a promise from God. And yet, it seems like it's never going to happen. Like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. And it's just takes forever to happen. But that kind of becomes the true test of where you're at with the Lord or where you are in your praise and worship. In your waiting, can you praise the Lord? So time passes. And actually, this lesson is a really good uh, timeline of the life of David, which I think sometimes we can kind of gets a little confusing when you're reading. So time passes and a messenger comes to David. And this time it's a message from the king. And King Saul wants David to come at once to play the harp for him or the lyre for him. So now the king's calling for him. He's going to be a court musician. 
one step closer to the throne. I mean, here he's going to be playing in front of the king, knowing that one day he's going to be king. So David is praising God for such favor in his life, and he continues to faithfully serve his father and the king. And see, this is kind of the up and down of David's life. Because we find him again back as a shepherd. So he goes from a court musician back to a shepherd. Um, And his father sends him to the Valley of Elah. He went to take food to his brothers who are soldiers in Saul's army. Now you know where I'm going with this story, right? We know this one. And David hears, when he gets there, a Philistine, 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 boast and blaspheme that God is, that he's going to defeat the Israelites. He's going to defeat their God. And it anchors David because he loves the Lord. You're not going to talk about my God that way. No way. My people that way. I'm always trying to figure out why in the world nobody else was mad about it. Just scared. It's because he was a worshiper. He knew the Lord. He loved the Lord. So we can see the uniqueness in David's life in this. In this moment, you can see how his relationship is very unique with the Lord. And so um, we kind of go through the story where, you know, Saul's armor doesn't fit him, but he knows he's going to fight this giant. So the king says, go ahead. (laughs) You're the only volunteer. I guess it's you. And so David takes his sling and his five smooth stones, and he runs toward the giant to do battle. And of course, to the shock of everyone on both sides, he triumphs over this Philistine warrior. And David praises God yet again for his power and his presence. Now, David had known what it was like to praise God up to this point. But on the way back home from slaying Goliath, he learns a new lesson, which was probably one of his hardest lessons to learn. But he learns what it's like to be praised. Because he hears women singing his praises. And the song said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So at this moment of triumph, He knows he's slain his enemy. But what happens as this song of praise for David is going forth is that he makes a new enemy that would follow him through many, many, many years. Who was that? Many of you know it's King Saul. The King Saul has now become the enemy of David because they're singing great things about, and they're actually singing pretty great things about Saul too. I mean, they're not dissing Saul. He's slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. But Saul does not like that in comparison, and he becomes an enemy that follows David through his life. And David would learn that God is faithful, and he would learn that there was always something to praise about. He praised God in the good times, and now he was going to learn to praise God in the bad times. And there would be bad times ahead. Now, one of the Psalms that we're going to look at or actually the main psalm that we're looking at today is Psalm 34. So I'll be making reference to Psalm 34. Now, in some of your Bibles, if you go to the book of Psalms, there's little um, headers above the Psalms that tell you maybe who wrote the psalm. It's not in every Bible, but it is in some. It will tell you like who wrote the psalm, like a psalm of David. So David wrote that. Sometimes it will tell you a psalm of David to 
and you know who he was going to send it to, who it was written for. And sometimes it will tell you that it's a psalm of David and where or when it was written. So we're going to look at Psalm 34. And it's going to be the psalm that was written after David fled to Gath. So what happens is, is that David makes an enemy of King Saul. After he kills Goliath, King Saul cannot get over his jealousy. He can't get over the comparison that's being made between him and David. And the truth is, you know, whether or not the people were like holding them up to compare them, Saul was making the comparison with what he had seen. Now, this is a really good moment for us to realize what comparison can do in your life. The comparison can, can embitter you. And so it's very important that when we feel jealousy or envy or comparison start to rise up in us, that we pour it out to the Lord. I don't know how else to deal with it. Um, I mean, I, you know, in, in, in honesty, this is like something that, you know, it's a struggle for me sometimes, a lot of the time. We'll just say that, okay? I mean, I just, just you see people, you see maybe what they have or what they're doing, and you're just like... You know, what happens is, and maybe this is just way too transparent for everybody, but whatever, I'm always like that. So what happens is, is you begin to, in your mind, think poorly of the person that you're comparing yourself to. And you come up with reasons why they're bad or what they did is not valid or what they did is not as great as everybody thinks it is, Right? And so that's what begins to happen. And so what's bad about that is you begin downgrading blessings from the Lord. So somebody's being blessed or somebody's doing something that's good, that's valuable in the kingdom of God or even valuable in their community or whatever, and you begin downgrading something that's valuable and that's good because of jealousy, because of comparison, the only way that I've learned to deal with that is to deal with it consistently. And that just means repentance, right? I die to that. To say, okay, I know God. In the moment. You don't wait till your prayer time. In the moment. God, my mind right now is consumed by jealousy and envy over what I've seen or what I've witnessed or by what's happening in this person. And so, God, I give it to you right now. I know that maybe I'm still going to continue to feel it, but I'm going to acknowledge right now that I feel it and that I'm not going to feed it and then I'm going to move from this place. And just doing that in the moment is very, very helpful. And it doesn't mean that you're never going to feel that way again or you're never going to deal with jealousy or envy or comparison again. But it means that I'm going to stop it every time it starts to happen. I'm not going to let it take hold in my life because it will take hold quickly and then it takes a lot longer to get out. <laughs> so just there are some things, it's okay to just stop and say I'm going to deal with this right now. I'm going to cast down every thought, every imagination that would like to exalt itself above the knowledge of God and do it then, right? Not waiting until my hour prayer time the next morning or before I go to bed that night. I'm going to do it right then. Anyway, that's been helpful for me, so for what it's worth. Saul did not do this. He fed jealousy in his life. And so um, this, this seed of murderous envy is planted in Saul's heart that day, and it doesn't take long to 
to spring up. Soon after, David is back to playing the harp for Saul. Now, this is like the story of David's life, right? Shepherd, harp player, shepherd, uh, giant slayer, harp player again. So, you know, he's never like, there's never like this grand trajectory. It's just like, whatever, God, I'm on this ride with you. So he's playing, and an evil spirit comes upon Saul. He picks up his spear and throws it at David to pin him to the wall. <laughs> yeah, was not going his way. So talking about David's enemy, a few enemies we'll talk about today, we, we look that Saul is probably the chief. And I think it's good that we recognize who Saul's enemy was. So we're talking about Saul dealing with his jealousy, his envy, and how he led it. I would say that Saul's biggest enemy, and some of you might have thought to yourselves, it's the devil, right? I think Saul's biggest enemy was Saul. He was his own worst enemy. He was anointed king, but because of disobedience, God anoints David as the next king and not Saul's son. Now, I've heard people say things like this. Well, if it's the will of God, it's just going to happen. I think sometimes we walk ourselves right out of the will of God. I'll give you an example that has nothing to do with anybody here. But say I want and feel a call, and I know it's God's will, that I be a missionary. Don't worry, I don't. If I was going to go, I'd have gone by now. Um, but I, I want to be, I feel God calling me to be a missionary. And I'm convinced of it. I tell you all, I tell Pastor Brown, let's all pretend he's not my husband. Um, I'm going. Well, let's don't pretend that, but anyway, you get it. I'm going. I'm going to go be a missionary. I've got it planned. I'm going. God has told me. He's calling me. He's put, he has put the burden in my heart. Okay? It's true. God has put the burden in my heart. It is his will. And I know it. And we all know it. It's written all over my life. However, I overspend, I don't work, and I can't get my finances in order, and I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I have walked myself right out of what God wants to do in my life. That's what I mean by that. Saul's kind of in that place. I don't think... I mean, we see such change in Saul's life, and we just see him take that path that his own heart, his own mind would, would take him down. And we see this evidence that Saul is determined to put David to death. And Saul's son has to secretly warn David to flee for his life. Now, I want you to understand Saul's son, Jonathan, is actually the one that misses out on the anointing that gets passed to David because of Saul's disobedience. But Saul's son, Jonathan, makes a decision to serve God's anointed. You see, we can, we can align ourselves, even after bad things happen. We can be in alignment with what God wants to do. It may not look like 
what we expected. And we may have discounted, you know, as that person called to be a mission, missionary, I may, have, I may have, by my actions, made it almost impossible for that to happen. That wasn't the Lord. That was me because I have flesh, right, in that scenario. But at some point, I can come under submission with God and say, I'm going to work until I get myself out of the mess that I've gotten myself into. And if after that, God is able to use me in the way that he wanted to, then I'm going to be on that. I'm going to be on board with that. Right? So Jonathan has made the decision. I hope all that makes sense. It's really not part of our lesson, but it's a really great opportunity to, to understand that. That I am in the will of God when I am aligned with the word of God. And if I'm not aligned with the word of God, I cannot, you cannot be aligned with the will of God. You know, why do I just, why do I feel so much, why, whenever I come in the presence of God, he wants me to be free, he wants me to be liberated, and I just come and I just feel so down and I just have to keep repenting over all the things I've done and I get so mad and, you know, it's because all week you weren't aligned with the will of God, with the word of God, and you expect now to be aligned with the blessing of God? It can't, it can't be. God's true to his word. Now, thank God for repentance. Repentance means I die to that thing that just kept on being dug up in my life. I'm not, I'm going to not do it anymore. And I'm not going to say until I do it again or <laughs> expect myself to fail while I'm repenting. In repentance... And the infilling of his spirit, we have the power to overcome sin. It's in you. If you're filled with his spirit, the power to overcome sin is in you. And it's kind of like what we were talking about praying about jealousy or about envy. It's in the moment. I have to, in that moment of temptation, look at the word of God. Flee from temptation. You know what it means? If you're fleeing from temptation, you're going away, but it also, you know what else it means? It means that temptation's right here. Like, you're, it's in view. Like, you're going to be tempted. You're going to deal with things. They're going to come into view because we're not isolated from temptation. We're not isolated from this world. And so I'm going to flee from that, and fleeing looks like running, like Brother Craig said, and, and a lot of times asking God to help us. I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to submit to God. You got to do both or it doesn't work out very well. You're very much not powerful enough to resist the devil without God. But you're filled with the Holy Ghost. So you always have that power. There's a lot of hope in this. There's hope in that. So, again, I'm kind of getting off, but... Um, so Saul is determined to put David's death. He's warned, David is warned by Jonathan's son, or Dave, Saul's son, Jonathan, to flee for his life. And in fleeing, David makes a risky decision. He flees to Gath, which is one of the five main cities of the Philistines. So Saul is so much an enemy now that he runs to his other enemy because they're less of an enemy. 
So David thinks, well, maybe they won't know me, but he's famous now. He arrives in Gath before some of King Achish's servants, and they recognize him. And they know exactly who he is, that he's the one that has killed Goliath. And the Philistine regards him as a mighty captain in Israel. They know him by sight. That's pretty amazing in that time. There was no social media. There was no, like, word of mouth was strong about David, apparently. So, anyway, they, they even call him at some point the king of the land. They know exactly who he is. So Achish's servants take David into custody and bring him before their king. And they say, isn't this David, the king of the land? And this is in 1 Samuel 12, 21. Didn't they sing about him saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? They even know the song. So David is afraid. And he thinks, Achish, King Achish is going to put me to death. So what does he do? And an idea comes to his mind of desperation. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 21, 13, that David changes his behavior before them. And he pretends to be mad or crazy in front of them. He's scratching on the doors of the gate. He is, the Bible tells us, it gives us a very vivid picture, that he lets saliva fall down his beard. He's drooling to try to make them think that he has no mental capacity. And so David's performance is convincing, and Achish is sure that David is insane. They send him away. They just throw him out of the city. Well, he's crazy. We don't want to take responsibility for him. We don't want anybody to think we're responsible for him being crazy, so just can we just send him away? So he's thrown out of the city. It worked. His plan worked. I actually really, really like that story. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> like trying to picture that in my mind. I'm like, genius. But <laughs> he gets as far away from Gath as he could. And later, we would find that David would compose a psalm about his experience in Gath. And that is Psalm 34. And David reveals in that psalm that he had not relied on his ingenuity. He hadn't relied on his acting skills to escape this fearful situation. But he had relied to God, calling out to God in prayer. In that moment, he had to say, what do I do, God? And so that whole thought, he's giving credit to God. God is the one that made me think to myself, act like you're crazy and they'll let you go. So David plays his role. He did all he could think to do, to do, and he did the best he could. But he acknowledges that God has set him free. And in Psalm 34, 4, he says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Verse 17 says, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivers them out of all of their troubles. Now, there's something to point out here in this story. David trusts in God. He listens to God, but he also makes an effort. So what does that suggest about the role we should play 
when we need deliverance and when we need freedom. It tells me that God is willing to give us very specific instructions. But it also tells me that we have to follow them no matter how strange they seem to us. <laughs> we have to make an effort. So we can be thankful that we serve a God who knows our fears, that he hears our cry, that he delivers us from trouble, and we'll probably never be in the same situation that David was in. However, we do, as believers in Christ, have an enemy that is actively trying to destroy us. He's, Peter says he was prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour, in 1 Peter 5.8. But there is, like David said, an angel of the Lord encamping round about us if we fear him and that God is wanting to send us deliverance. He's always surrounding us and we can hang on to that promise that if we resist our enemy and we're steadfast in the faith, that he'll deliver us. We've got to put our faith in God. We've got to submit ourselves to him like I quoted from James. And then we can sing the song that David sang, the righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. See, again, you cannot compartmentalize when you cry out to the Lord. You've got to cry out to the Lord when you need him, when you're struggling, when you're tempted. You know, we, I made mention of jealousy and, and envy, and a lot of us don't immediately think, there's a temptation. But that's exactly what that is. When I am tempted to live in that emotion of jealousy or comparison, that is when it can become sin. I will have emotion. I will deal with mental struggles. I'm not free from that. But in that moment, I have to recognize I have to cry out to God and he will free me from it. Many of you might, might can even think of a time. When, when has God delivered you in that way or, or in that moment from, from something that was a temptation, whether it was something that's tangible that you can see that you, that you need to consistently resist or, or whether it's something that nobody else knows about because it's internal. So David flees from Gath and he makes his way to the cave of Adullam in verse Samuel 22.1. It was about 10 miles southeast of Gath. Um, it kind of a no man's land between the territories that were controlled by the Philistines. And there were many caves in this area, natural formations that made it a perfect place for David to find refuge from the enemy, from Saul and Saul's army, these people that were seeking to kill David. And so what happens is David's in this cave and David's family hears. Now, I do not know what kind of mail system they had, but it does seem to be effective. Um, I mean, they know David when he gets to Gath, and now David's family hears about him being in the cave. Um, it's, it seems actually a little bit quicker than what's going on in the States right now. Um, but <laughs> Maybe it's just me. But he's in this area, and his family hears that he is there, and they join him because they feared Saul. If Saul couldn't get to David, well, maybe he would just take his family or just be satisfied with his family or use them as a ransom to imprison them or to kill them. And so they seek refuge with David in this stronghold of caves. Now, I want to point out that in Psalm 42, that was probably a psalm that was written during the time that David was in these caves. 
Um, and so, you, again, you can kind of like link the if you're reading First and Second Samuel, uh, you can kind of link the Psalms over with what happened. In fact, there's also Psalms by Moses. Um, I want to say it's like Psalm 107, if you read that one. And then that's linked over to what happens um, with the children of Israel and when Moses was leading them. So that's kind of throughout the Psalms. It's kind of an interesting thing to note that you can go back and forth and, and link the stories with what was the song, because that's what Psalms means. It's a song. Um, so what happens is not just David's family, but others begin to join David. First uh, Samuel 22 2 says, and everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto David and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So uh, this little cave is probably not quite what we picture in our minds. <laughs> There was enough room here uh, to shelter about 400 men, just men, if they brought women and children, which they did, then there would have been quite a few more. So um, these men, their families had not prospered under Saul's rule. Life in Saul's kingdom had brought them nothing but bitterness, discontentment, and so they are outcasts and they want change. And they look around and see nothing under Saul, worth preserving, and they decide, you know what, we've heard that David's been anointed king, we've seen him, you know, beat Goliath, I think it would be a really good idea if we just follow him. So here's this outlaw David, and he has an outlaw band of about 400, ready to serve and follow him wherever he would go. So David, who's, who's um, trying to protect his family, his parents, and those that have come with him. The Bible tells us that to protect his parents, David goes to Mizpah in Moab and to the king there to secure protection for them. And while David is in Moab, the prophet Gad arrived with a word from the Lord, and it said, Abide not in the hold, depart, and get thee into the land of Judah. So before this word comes, David had had doubt in his mind whether any of his tribe would support him. But now he is certain because of the word of the Lord, he's certain that they would. This word of God assures David that God supports him and would not abandon him. And all of his fear melts away. He has a rush of confidence and he and his men set off for Judah. See, this is where we see the confidence that David has in the promise and the word of God. It is a blessing to receive a word of, from the Lord in a time of fear, when you're confused, when you're in doubt. Um, <laughs> at camp this week, there's, this, there's a, an elder who is known for giving words of prophecy. So, like, if you see him coming towards you in altar call, you know he's going to say something to you that the Lord has told him to say to you. And uh, that I kind of was raised around that kind of ministry, so it doesn't... I'm not bothered by it. It doesn't make me afraid. Um, but I was with a teenage girl at one point, and every time she saw him, she was like, oh, <laughs> I don't want him to talk to me. <laughs> but I am thankful, and I shared a little bit with you last week about a time in my life when someone, you know, gave me a word of, it was a word of encouragement, a prophetic word of encouragement, and and that God was with me. And, and so I'm thankful for that. And I don't want to be afraid when God wants to use different avenues to speak to me. 
in that way. I don't want to be afraid of it. I want to be ready to hear from it. And I want his word, his voice, the gifts that he gives us in his spirit for me to desire those in my life. Um, Because I believe he wants to speak to us in every way that is promised in his word. I don't think that those things were just for then and therefore no longer. You know, and I want to be able to be ready. If it's a prophet, if it's a still small voice in prayer, if it's a word that comes when I meditate on the scripture, I want to receive a word from the Lord. And here's the truth. God promises that he will always be present to comfort, to guide, and to deliver us. And he wants to speak to us if we will seek him. I want to just finish up with a little video. I hope you've been enjoying these. I think it's nice to hear another voice. Um, So, Brother Alexander, go ahead. A few years ago, my wife and I went through a time of major life and ministry transition. We were pastoring a church, and we felt very strongly that the Lord wanted us to resign. Now, we didn't know where we were going to go next, but we felt so strongly about this that We went ahead and resigned without knowing what the next step was gonna be. That's something I don't recommend, by the way. But um, we needed a place to go to church, so we decided to start attending church about an hour away where one of our trusted ministry mentors was the pastor. After prayer, we, we felt like that the Lord wanted us to relocate to be closer to this city where we were attending church at. And the problem was is that I had a good job where we were living at. We had a comfortable place to live. Our kids were in a great school district. We were close to family. And it really didn't make any sense for us to up and relocate to a a new city. But nonetheless, that is very much what we felt like the Lord was leading us to do. And so we started making plans to do just that. People would ask us what we were planning on doing next because they knew we weren't planning on staying in that area. And we would tell them, "We're, we're planning on moving. We didn't know where we were going to move to. We didn't know where we were going to live at, didn't know where we were going to work at. To say that we were afraid would be an understatement. Summer was coming up and we knew that it was the perfect time to move, but we had no house to move to. I didn't, still didn't have a job and we didn't know what the Lord had for us. Late that spring, we attended a, just an ordinary midweek Bible study. There was nothing unusual about that service. But I'll never forget, at the close of the service, as our pastor was, was getting ready to dismiss, he stopped and he looked over at me and he said, God is going, God just told me that he's going to work three miracles for you this summer. Within the next 90 days, God opened the door and provided me with a brand new job that I love. He provided us with a new home, a beautiful home. And he also filled my daughter with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. As an added bonus, God also provided us with a new vehicle that summer. God did everything that he said he would do and more. We just had to learn how to trust him. It was certainly a time of uncertainty and transition, but God was there for us and he took care of us and God will be there with you as well. So to finish up today, Reading Psalm 34, 17 through 19, it says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and deliver them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh, or near, to them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them all. Now, David reveals an important fact there in verse 19. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And there are a lot of blessings in living for God. But God, as we talked about last week, does not promise to keep us from afflictions. Our afflictions might be many. But David reveals an another important fact. He says, the Lord delivereth them out of them all. He says, the Lord are near to them that are of a broken heart, and he saveth those that be of a contrite or of a repented spirit. He delivers us. So God is worthy of praise in every situation. And David shows us how we can respond to affliction because he begins Psalm 34 when he's running for his life with, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will continually be in my mouth. It was how David had made the decision to live his life no matter what part of the roller coaster he was on. It was a roller coaster. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be in my mouth. I'm not just going to keep waiting for that next high moment to praise the Lord. But in the valleys, I'll praise the Lord. I challenge you this week with something. I challenge you to read Psalm 34 every day. I find it interesting when you do that. When you, when you take a passage of scripture and, and you read it every day, you will find something new every day. Um, if you look for it. <laughs> and also another thing that I challenge you to do is see if you can uh, find some psalms that match up with different circumstances in David's life or in other biblical characters. Find the psalm that matches up with the historical reference in the Bible. It's just, it's a good way to learn the scripture. It's a good way to do more than just read the scripture. So I challenge you with those two things this week. I thank you for listening. I'm enjoying this series of lessons. I think it's really valuable, and if we allow it, it can teach us a lot.